Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm awfully glad to connect again to Ken Samples. He is a philosopher and theologian. He's my guest for the full hour. You know that great verse that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind? Okay, we're going to talk about the life of the mind today, and I can't wait to dig into that. Ken, welcome back to the show. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm great. You know, every time I think about a verse in Scripture, I always have another angle for which to pursue, because when we talk about the life of the mind, I'm hoping mine's working well today, as a matter of fact, but when you think of love the Lord your God with all your um, heart, I always think of the heart as the decision-making process, center of your being, the, the, the essence of who you are. So I'm wondering, how is the heart and the mind different? Yeah, that's a good good question. I think that when Jesus uses that expression, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I think he is using kind of a Hebrew parallelism, mm-hmm. uh, which, which it, it, it's not dividing those into four parts as much as he's conveying love him with everything you are. And I, I certainly agree that cardia, which is the Greek word for heart, so mm-hmm. the heart doctor is a cardiologist, uh, it's at the core of, uh, of you, of, of who you are. And so I see the mind and the soul, the heart as being interconnected. And so um, I, as a Jew, uh, Jesus would have been, you know, he, he would have been acquainted with the idea of study is a a very critical part of of being a, a Jewish person. Why? Because God has revealed Himself in the Torah, or in the Old Testament called the Tanakh. And so, this idea of loving God with your being, which would include that remarkable gift of the mind, would be, I think, something that uh, Jesus would really appreciate. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that uh, explanation, Ken, and. I know we're going to talk about the life of the mind today, and I know there is a lot of questions we have, um, and I know that you had an interesting uh, conversation, and you're also doing a little bit of a of a uh, reflection on something that uh, conservative radio talk show host Dennis Prager said regarding the life of the mind, talking about the Jewish versus the evangelical Christian. Yeah. And, one of the observations I believe Dennis made was he noticed that evangelicals um, is they don't read very much. Um, and I'd love for you to comment on that. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been on Dennis program, Dennis Prager's program a couple times. He, as you rightly identified, he is a conservative political thinker. Uh, he's done a radio program out of Los Angeles for, for many decades. I was on his program years ago. The show was called Religion on the Line, and interesting enough, he would have a rabbi, 
a Catholic priest and a Protestant minister. And so I, I was on there a couple times. It was always fun just to talk with the rabbi, talk with the Catholic priest. I think that, um, I think when Dennis made these comments that evangelicals don't read and don't read the Bible and maybe don't know much about Christian thinkers, I think maybe if he were to uh, focus that today, he might moderate his comments, Mm because I know that he has encountered a lot more evangelical thinkers who are very reflective, who are, you know, well-studied. So in in one context, I think that Dennis's view about evangelicals uh, in the life of the mind is probably up. But having said that, Bill, I think that there is evidence that there is at least a segment of evangelicals that that don't read or don't read that much. Now, I I think most evangelicals are students of the Bible. Uh, I think that's a unique feature of Protestantism. Uh, I was at one time a Roman Catholic. I know many Eastern Orthodox. Um, The Bible has a unique focus, I think, in, in the evangelical Protestant faith. But the life of the mind, that is reading and thinking, and what I found really most interesting about Prager's comment was that Judaism, again, has this deep sense uh, that uh, they're people of the book, and uh, God has made them in the image of God, and he wants to communicate with them. He wants to convey his message of salvation. He gives them the law there to be a, a people that that cherish learning and, and reading. And of course, one of the studies in America revealed that the most uh, successful ethnic minority, if you think of Jews as an ethnic minority, you can think of them as a people group, or you can think of them as, as a religious group. But this one study indicated that, that Jews have the highest uh, or the most success in American history, largely because of high education, uh, you know, they, they have they have many people who have advanced degrees. And what I thought was interesting is that Christianity comes out of that same root. I mean, in my personal view, I think Jews and Christians worship the same God. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have differences, but I think that Jewish Messiah, after all, and Christianity has deep roots in the Old Testament, um, and and yet there is, I think, at times maybe an anti-intellectualism or a suspicion of the life of the mind that exists in parts of Christianity that I don't think exists to the same extent in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Ken, maybe you would um, help us by understanding a, a working definition of light, uh, life of the mind. Yeah, very good. Well, let me put it to you this way, Uh, Bill, even evolutionary biologists these days are leaning in the direction that human beings are not just different from the animals in degree, but we're different in kind. Uh, In science, this is called human exceptionalism, and it's typically built on the idea that uh, humans have the ability of communication and speech that we blend together letters that that uh, give us forth words. And so humans alone are able to have conversations, to speak, to write, um, you know, uh, to read. 
this is unique among all of the beings on, on planet Earth. Now, from a biblical context, I think that's exactly what we would expect. We would expect that human beings are made from the dust of the ground. Animals are too, but humans have the breath of life. And that kind of context means that, that humans are distinct from the animals. That, and I think part of that distinction, and there may be a number of them, it may be our spirituality, it may be uh, our appreciation of, of beauty, it may be our moral decision-making, to go back to your decision of the heart idea, but I think it also conveys the idea of the intellect, the mind, and so the life of the mind is the capacity of human beings to, to read, to write, uh, to listen, uh, to engage in contemplation of, of truth. Uh, John Calvin, one of the great Protestant thinkers, said it, that human beings, because they're made in the image of God, they can hunt and gather truth. And so um, as an image bearer, uh, I certainly can pursue truth in Scripture. It is the Word of God. It is the revelation of God inspired. But I can also study science. I can study philosophy. I can study literature. And so the life of the mind would be the idea that uh, I can learn and get closer to truth. And by getting closer to truth, I'm, I'm getting closer to the God of truth. Mm-hmm. Ken, do you think that Dennis's Dennis Prager's comment was a little uh, snobbish or a little elitism? I, I think there was a little bit of that in there, and and again, I think part of it, I think part of it is that there's at times tension between Jews and Christians. I I, I think in America in the 20th century, the 21st century, I think that Jews and Christians. Uh, have have a greater facility with one another. Uh, I think many Jews who were a bit skeptical of Christians, because Christianity historically and Judaism historically have had their tensions, no doubt about it, it even, even at times what might be considered uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, unfortunately, Christians have said and done things in the past that I think are unbiblical and immoral, but I think that many Christians today and Jews today, they recognize that the two religions hold very similar worldviews. Um, I think they worship the same God. They, we share values, um, and I, I think Dennis has uh, spent more time now with uh, Christian thinkers, mm-hmm. uh, and he realizes that uh, wow, these people love Israel. They uh, care about the Old Testament. So, yeah, I I think there may have been a little bit of, you know, elitism. Dennis is, after all, a very bright fellow, and and again, Judaism has a great intellectual tradition. Uh, But I think he put his finger on something, uh, and, and that is, in some churches, Bill, to be an intellectual, to be a scholar, to be a bookish person, right, to be cerebral, or mm-hmm. whatever terms you want to use, sometimes that's perceived as that's head knowledge, and, and that'll get in the way of being a real spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that as well. Um, I do find some of his points kind of interesting when he talked about, you know, the, the great Christian thinkers and 
you know, many have not even heard of Aquinas, or if you're Presbyterian, you've never read the founders of Presbyterianism. And he says, you know, as a Jew, that's really confusing to me, because his commandment of study, he said, is so deep in Judaism that we immerse ourselves in study. God gave us a brain, aren't we, to use it in his service? So he says, when I walk into an evangelical Christian's home and I see 30 books, most of them are just bestsellers. He goes, I don't know if I understand that. He goes, I have bookcases of Christian books, and I'm a Jew. (laughs) And I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, you look at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs. Uh, Wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. The idea is conveyed that real wisdom in life, moral wisdom, Wisdom that will transform your life is is rooted in uh, study of what God has revealed, mm-hmm. and 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 I think in I think in Judaism as compared to Christianity, and and again we're talking evangelicalism. Um, I I think there has always been a bit of anti-intellectualism within Christianity, and part of it I actually agree with Bill. Mm. I mean, when I read First Corinthians thirteen, and Paul says you can. You, you know, you can uh, comprehend all mysteries. You mean like the Trinity and the Incarnation? But if you have not loved, you're nothing. Mm. I, I, I have lived in an academic intellectual world, and some of the coldest I have seen things are when people are just filled up with pride. So it's possible to do that, but I don't think there's a necessary uh, you know, discontinuity there. I, I think that, uh, I think we're back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Use all of your faculties to the glory of God. I think that's what I think about yeah. when I am working in the field. Amen. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a both a theologian and a philosopher. We're going to continue to talk about the life of the mind. It's all next. Back to the show. We're talking to Ken Samples today. He's a philosopher and theologian at reasons.org. You can go to reasons to believe. It's reasons.org. He really focuses on uh, demonstrating always the compatibility of the Christianity's great doctrinal truths with reason and logic. So if you like that kind of discussion, you have come to the right place today. He's author of several books, including Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. Today we're talking about the life of the mind, and it's going to take all 60 minutes for me to get my mind around this one, because this is a challenging one, uh, Ken. And we're talking a little bit about Dennis Prager, who I respect as an intellectual thinker. I think he really loves his intellectual capacity. I think he fancies himself as a really bright guy, and in fact he is. Um... And he is a very devout Jew, uh, but one of the saddest things that I've come to understand he is he has never come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. So as smart as he is, it uh, makes me very sad that he does not know Jesus as his personal Savior. Well, that's, uh, that's right. I mean, um, you know, the, the reality is that uh, 
people can have an incredibly high intellect, uh, but the question of truth, you, you can't come to God on your terms. Uh, you have to come on His terms. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I think that maybe some of the suspicion about, uh, you know, very cerebral people, people who have had a lot of head knowledge, so to speak. Um, the reality is, and, and I think even, uh, Bill, I think even the Apostle Paul recognized this, that that knowledge puffs up. That's the that's the natural tendency. And given that we are fallen, we are broken. Sin has affected our entire being. Uh, we start to be enamored with ourselves. We we uh, you know we we have a we have a sense of uh, of self fulfillment. And uh, I think that coming to the Lord, coming to know God, and coming to know Jesus as the Savior, and of course. I mean, think about in a Jewish context, Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a controversial idea, but we're able to come to God, um, and it has to be with humility. It has to be, a, you know, Bill, I, I think back of 1978 when I really began to take faith seriously. Uh, upon a single argument, I came out of need. I heard the message of Jesus Christ in a way I had never heard it before, and my immediate response was, I need that. I want that. Of course, the next day, Jehovah's Witness knocked on my door telling me the Trinity wasn't true, there was no hell. I thought, wow, I need to also be an apologist. I need to <laughs> be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. But the reality is I came out of a, a sense that I'm a broken person, and I need the forgiveness that God offers in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, I pray for Dennis Prager, and I know a lot of Christians who do. Yeah, I mean, I know some very—I mean, I observe them on television and radio, and I hear them with a tremendous heart for God, but I think you're still not born again. You don't you don't know Jesus yet. So, I, you know, yep. I—, I I've prayed for him myself. So, but let's go back to the life of the mind because this is something that I'm going to again spend all hour trying to figure out. So, w- what does pursuing the life of the mind look like for a Christian? Yeah, I like that. Um, well, it, it's there's a type of learning that I have come to believe, Bill, is the most important, and and it's and it's not learning toward a degree. You know, getting a bachelor's degree or or, or earning certifications, whatever field you may be in, uh, nor is it a, you know, getting a terminal degree, that's a degree that'll kill you. And no, that's a degree like a PhD or, you know, a, a MD. I actually think there is a, a type of learning that is more valuable in all of that, and I call it lifelong learning. Uh, and, and that is a person who, who, who loves to learn. And if I can pitch it within a Christian biblical context, you know, God is truth. God is the author of truth. And, and through centuries, Christians have had this, this metaphor of God having two books. Now it's, now, it's not like the Mormon where you have the Bible and the, the Book of Mormon. It's not like the Muslim who has the Bible and the Quran. Uh, one book, of course, is the literal book, and that's the Bible. These these events really happened, and they were inspired and recorded in what we have now, first in the Old Testament, then in the New Testament. 
But this, the other book is what is a metaphor. It's a figurative book. It's the book of nature. Um, that is that God has revealed himself. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, uh, we have a conscience, and God, God has made himself known in the conscience. But God has revealed himself in nature, uh, in science, in philosophy, and in, in literature. Um, and, it, and these are truths. Now, uh, the way I like to think of it is this way, that God is the author of truth with a capital T, and that's Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jew, Gentile, anybody has to come through Jesus Christ. But there's also truth with the lowercase t, and that is when I I can appreciate mathematics, or I can uh, appreciate uh, literature, or, or I can appreciate things about the natural world. When I apprehend truth, I'm getting a little bit closer to the God of truth. And I'll I'll tell you a quick story. There was only one time, I think, in my life where I seriously had a crisis of faith. It was early on. I was uh, a new college student. I'd gone to the Catholic Church as a boy, but I was now attending an evangelical church, and it it was a bit bit anti-intellectual. And I noticed, I remember one day I was working, I had a job at Toys R Us, and part of my job was shagging carts in the parking lot. (laughs) Sorry, Ken, that makes me laugh. (laughs) I'm out there grabbing all these carts and rolling them, and I'm thinking in my mind about philosophy and theology. And And I said to myself, you know, at church we talk about faith, but we never talk about reason. And at school we talk about reason, but we never talk about faith. And I thought, I'm a man without a country. I'm a man of faith and reason. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I had some good Christian teachers who said, you know, uh, you might want to read Augustine or Aquinas or C.S. Lewis. So that, that two-book idea, that uh, learning and using your mind, it, it honors God. So well said. I appreciate that very much, Ken. It does make me laugh thinking of you pushing around carts in the parking lot of Toys R Us. I, I tell you, just one little tiny story. I was sh- sharing my faith with a guy when I was working there, and I said, you know, this guy got saved. And there was a guy who looked at me, and he goes, you mean he got pulled out of the river or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, well, there's a little different salvation there, but yeah. those were the, the old days. Yeah, in a way, kind of, yes, you did get pulled out of the river. All right. That's, that's yeah, it's a metaphor. Yep. Yeah. We'll take a break, but we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Ken Samples on the life of the mind. The life of the mind is going to continue to uh, be a very challenging discussion. So thank you for uh, to Ken Samples for being willing to come on and discuss this with me today. We'll be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's 
I am back with Ken Samples. He's a philosopher and theologian. We're talking today about the life of the mind. But before we jump back into that, Ken, I do have to let you know this is a pretty historic day around Faith Radio. It was 73 years ago today we went on the air for the first time. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of continuity. (laughs) Isn't it, though? Yeah, and that's impressive. Billy Graham gave the dedicatory prayer for our station, and off we went. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham said late in life, he said, somebody asked him, what would you do if you did it over again? He said, I'd study more and preach less. Wow. Wow. And I bet he'd, he'd travel a little, little bit less, too. I think he missed his family terribly. I'll bet that's right. Yeah. 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 All right, before we get back to the life of the mind, I just had another comment from John who said, great discussion with Ken Samples today. One of the things that came to mind was when Jewish and Christian people can't get along, I see that on a four-corner intersection. There can be four Christian churches of different denominations. We know that Satan does not want us together. He wants us apart. Well, John, I appreciate that. I... uh... I really think that uh, unity is a is a very important value within Christianity, and um, I like to talk about truth, unity, and charity. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping those three will will improve our situation. Mm-hmm. So, as we talk about life of the mind, and Ken Samples again is my guest, let's uh, let's talk about some of the benefits uh, that. You know, what, what practical benefits does the Christian view of the mind produce? Yeah, well, you know, let's, let's think about the, as we think about Scripture in the New Testament, for example, Christians, and particularly evangelical Christians, are really good at what I would call moral virtues. I mean, we know the Ten Commandments. We know that it's wrong to lie. We know that it's wrong to be unfaithful to our spouse. We know it's wrong to steal. But there's another type of virtue that's spoken of in Scripture, and these are the intellectual virtues, and they give us real benefits. The book of Acts, Luke is describing the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, he writes that the the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, because uh, when the Bereans listened to Paul, opened up the Bible, and at that point it was just the Hebrew Bible. There wasn't a New Testament yet. Paul opened up the Hebrew Bible and began explaining to them, this is how Jesus fits into the Old Testament. This is the Messiah. This is the Lord's servant. And it says that the Bereans didn't just uh, accept what Paul said. They opened up the text Mm -hmm. and checked to see well, you know, testing sources. I mean, I mean, think about the world in which we live now, where you've got fake news and yellow journalism and propaganda. Here, here you have a a virtue of checking and seeing if, hey, is that is that right? Is is he, this guy got his his uh, Bible study right? Uh, another. Example of this, very practical. John says, "Don't believe every spirit. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, make sure that when you put your trust in something, that you test it, you evaluate it. Uh, I mean, think of the religious messages that we hear everywhere, all the time, from differing religions and differing uh, political philosophies." 
Then a, a statement by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says, test all things and hold on to the good. Now, the context of that passage is prophecy. There were prophets in the early church, and Paul said, you know, uh, test them, put them to the test. Well, that that idea of things being tested greatly influenced the early Christians in the in the 17th century who developed the scientific revolution. That biblical idea of testing things became part of the scientific method. I think there are many benefits uh, of a life of the mind, of, of testing, of evaluating. I mean, if the life of the mind hits you kind of funny, how about this word? How about discernment? Oh, I like that. Being being able to discern, hey, where are these people coming from? What what philosophy mm. or religion are they presenting to me? And um, you know, which which political candidate shares my values and my worldview? Uh, Bill, I think there is a need for this now more than ever, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's perfectly in line with the idea of discernment. I can build a treehouse in that tree. Very good. I like that metaphor yeah. very much. But when I think of the Bereans, I mean, they were just residents of the city of Berea in Macedonia. So Paul and Silas are preaching to them, and then they decide to uh, evaluate everything that they hear. But they were—they didn't have—they didn't go home and had and have personal copies of the scripture. They met in community and discussed. That's right. I mean. Think about this a little bit. Uh, a Jew, a Jewish rabbi at the time of Jesus, so at the time of Paul, they pretty much had the Old Testament memorized, Bill. Now, that, wow. you know, that might start a view, wow. but given, given that it was an oral culture, given that they were taught to be disciples and to, to catch every drop, uh, and on top of that, the rabbis were to know the 613 laws this was a this was an oral tradition. Uh, writing was still at a premium. It was expensive. It was difficult, but even still, there were the scrolls, uh, and and rabbis were able to expand their memory because they didn't have the internet. They didn't have, you know, books like a modern book, and and so this idea of of being able to talk about things to, to reflect upon them. Yeah, the, the community was a, a critical part of their life. Mm-hmm. And I suppose back then, I'm going to probably sound um, very simple right now, but you had lots of work to do all the time, but you also didn't have a lot of other distractions. And of course, I'm, I could be speaking very ignorantly right now, Ken, so stop me if I am. But I mean, no, when you I... talk about them learning, understanding the whole Old Testament— they weren't spending five hours watching college football on the weekends. I agree. I mean, I mean, you know, I think about some of these Christian thinkers, Pascal, Blaise Pascal, this remarkable scientist, mathematician, mm. this inventor. He dies at 39 years old. How did he accomplish all that? I mean, um, you know, most of these Christians, Thomas Aquinas, the great medieval Catholic thinker, he died at 49 years old. What, how did he do all this? No TV. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, one of the things that I do when I talk with people about the life of the mind is I say, do an inventory. How much of your time do you spend on entertainment as compared to, to reading, thinking and studying? Hey, I want to 
I want to learn more about this subject. I, 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 I want to use my mind. I, and, and of course, doctors and physicians are telling us now frequently that people who use the, their mind and keep it active, it, it may not uh, keep you from suffering dementia or Alzheimer's, but it'll help. And, and I like to say, I just want to have a lot to forget. <laughs> All right. But, Ken, when people say to you things like, oh, i got to chill out or I've got to zone out, in other words, I don't want to have to think. I, I, I want to give myself a break. Now, I, I can't imagine a lot of people in the first century wanting to do that because I want to learn the Word. I want to learn the Old Testament. And you think of you think of the life of Jesus. I mean, he's a carpenter. He is living in an agrarian society. I mean, think of all the biblical metaphors of shepherds and right. all of that kind of thing. I mean, one of the reasons, Bill, that Judaism and the Jewish community have been so successful is uh, they have lots of attorneys, they have lots of doctors, they have lots of scientists, because Studying is is part of their way of battling in the world. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a group of people that uh, suffered six million deaths in the 20th century at, at Auschwitz and Dachau and various other places. And if you look back to that idea, um, one one person said that that, that Jews Jews studied for a different motivation. They studied to revere. They saw learning as this is this is part of who I am. This is part of the image of God. Greeks learned in order to become wise. Modern people learn in order to uh, uh, you, you know to to get things. Uh, we go to school not to become thoughtful and reflective and mature. We want to get a job and get mm-hmm. a lot of money and accumulate things. I, I think there's a real difference in in all of that. And uh, it's, you know, it's certainly true. Uh, one guy was saying that if you got a Ph.D. In, in engineering from MIT as opposed to a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Notre Dame, the guy in philosophy might make, uh, you know, 45000 The guy at MIT will make ninety to to 100 That's starting. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're tempted, I think, to think of learning purely in terms of what kind of job, what kind of pay am I going to get? Uh, whereas I, I think there's more. The life of the mind says, I'm not against anybody making a good wage. I'm not against anybody succeeding in, in economics. But I think there's also the matters of truth and learning and, and reflection and, and, and living a, a deep life. Mm. Well said. All right, Ken Samples is my guest. Uh, Ken, you'd mentioned earlier that Christians are people of the book. Maybe we can pick through that one a little bit. So tell me what that means and, and, and really how it applies to the life of the mind. Yeah, people of the book. So in the Old Testament, um, you know, uh, most of the religions that competed with Judaism, the pagan religions, if you will, and this is true at the time of Christianity, the Jews were the people who kept coming back to this this verbal revelation, this propositional revelation. You know, Yahweh made himself known to uh, Abraham and to Moses and, and to Joshua. 
But then these these events were recorded uh, in the Bible, and, and this became a verbal revelation. Uh, qu- quite frankly, when kids were learning at the time of Jesus, uh, they were taught principally to read, and most of the reading was the Old Testament. Well, the same is true for Christians. What's unique about Christianity is it's bookish. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the pagan religions, you look at the Roman religions, they're they're not based upon a book, a revelation, a verbal message. It's it's more about activity of, of worshiping the gods, of being involved in temple sacrifices, so this this idea in the first century, and I, I'm here. I'm talking about the first couple of centuries. Uh, it was amazing how many books began to appear written by Christians, and uh, you know. So, so this idea, even in the Middle Ages, where monks are in the monasteries, they're copying manuscripts, they're preserving learning. So much so, Bill, that in the Middle Ages, these amazing universities popped up in Europe, Cambridge, Oxford, University of Paris, University of Cologne. It's those universities that provided the firepower for the revolution called science. And uh, that's a lot of Christian capital at work there. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Ken Samples is my guest, and we are going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion on the life of the mind. And the big question out there is, is the life of the mind the most important aspect of the Christian life? It's all next. my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian at Reasons to Believe, which is a incredibly smart think tank of smart people that do some smart analyzing and thinking. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken, but he's humble enough to admit that he at one point in his life herded shopping carts in the parking lot of Toys R Us. So makes me sure like did. him. Makes me like him yep. even more. All right. <laughs> All right, Ken. So does scripture actually mention intellectual traits as virtues? for Christians to prize and maybe even emulate? I think that it it clearly does. I I think we see this powerfully in the Old Testament. We see it in Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Psalms that that talk about uh, wisdom, that talk about how we apply wisdom to our daily life, our relationships with our family, our spouse, uh, how we relate to other people, that wisdom literature. I mean, I think of all these great Christian thinkers, uh, Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, their Old Testament book, favorite book is always the Psalms, the Psalms that are able to communicate in in a literary means. But we also see this again in the New Testament, though. We we see it uh, in the idea of being discerning. Um, You know, don't accept 
Don't accept the teaching too quickly. Put them to the test. They're false gods, false Christs, false gospels. Uh, we see as there, Paul in another place says, you know, again, there are prophets in the early church. He says, he says, let them speak and then examine every word they say. I, I think that would be great in Christian television. Let people talk mm-hmm. and then hold them accountable. Uh, hold them accountable to the things that they say about Christian truth, uh, about how they'll use the money that they ask, or they're asking you to give to them. I think that these intellectual virtues are, are again, very powerful. And as we think about uh, our day of, uh, you know, uh, dogmatic ideas, we think about um, politics and things like that. I think all of these virtues are, are very much valuable that we get from Scripture. Mm-hmm. So might the life of the mind be one of the most important aspects of Christian life? Well, I would put it to you this way. I would say the most important thing is coming to know God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Knowing Him as your Lord and your Savior. The Father sent His Son into the world. Christ on the cross says, it's finished. It's accomplished. The Holy Spirit comes upon the Church to apply it. So these great Christian truths of the Trinity, the Incarnation, they apply then the gospel, the gospel message that, uh, again, uh, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Uh, and we take that truth, and we, we, by God's grace, live it out. I think the life of the mind uh, then becomes a part of that, and, and it can be a very helpful and discerning and critical part of that. Uh, but if you're asking for what the target is, the target is always knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Kenan, I know you probably have a huge library of books, and you, you always are seem to be reading and, and thinking, analyzing, reflecting on ideas. And, uh, you know, would you encourage every Christian to pursue this life of the mind to the extent that you do? Well, you know, I, I, I know my book collection is getting close to 5,000 books, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little older, and I, I was talking to my wife the other day, what am I going to do with all these books? Because I don't read e-books, I don't read electronic books, I read print books, I read physical books. Mm-hmm. I have 3,000 here at RTB, I've probably got close to 2,000 at home. I probably am an exception. I'm kind of obsessive-compulsive about it. I always have to be learning and all of those kinds of things. But what I want to say to uh, to your audience uh, is that this lifelong learning, this getting a little closer to God by by learning about His revelation in Scripture, but also His revelation in the world— this can this can be a very important part of our spirituality, and and uh, yeah, people can become snobs and they can be prideful, but it doesn't have to be that way. Paul always tells us that uh, you know uh, we love is a, a, a critical virtue in life, and so you know I like to uh, I love to read. I probably read two or three hours a day. I've probably done that for twenty five or thirty years. But uh, frankly speaking, when I die, they won't be counting my books. They'll be listening to my wife and to my kids, and they'll be looking at the life I've lived. And there'll be lots of students, I hope, that will say, 
you know, Professor Samples did, did me well, but um, I don't want to. I don't want to separate my life of love, my life of holiness, my life of virtue, from my intellectual life of study. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Very sweet answer. So maybe you could give us some counsel for those who have tried to read some of the more challenging books. I mean, I remember when I picked up yeah. uh, Pascal's Pensées for the first time, and I thought, I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, and then you feel dumb and you go well maybe I'm not the intellectual type and I'm not going to get this and then you go well yeah. I'll make up for it by reading Calvin's inst- Institutes and I go ah this isn't helping this isn't much easier and then yeah. all of a sudden you go well how do I how do I read some of the harder stuff I'm, I'm not a great reader yeah. and comprehender it sounds like you are well you know what I would say is uh, Mortimer Adler in his great book How to Read a Book he says that uh, the great books are always over our head, but it's it's being over our head that's challenging us. Mm. Adler would say, we often think, oh, I'm not very smart. I can't get all of this. Adler would say, that's good. You're right where you want to be. You, you want a book that you can't own, that you can't exhaust. Some of these great books, they keep pulling you. Uh, St. Augustine's Confessions or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Pascal's Pensees or Mere Christianity, I think I would recommend, look, there there are some books you can begin with. Some of my books are like that, Classic Christian Thinkers. It's a primer. It's not a tome. It's an introduction. It's to kind of help you take steps. But I like to point out to people that, look, when you read something that's really uh, deep, it's going to be over your head, and that's okay, uh, because, you know, bit by bit, you keep on growing. Yeah, I was determined to understand Mere Christianity by Lewis, and I think I was able to do it. I just had to read the book 18 times. Well, I, I'm impressed by that. Uh, I, that's that's terrific. I, I I remember reading Lewis for the first time and thinking, wow, man, this guy's challenging, and, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then I read it years later, and it's like, well, it's still challenging. This is very thoughtful. But what I love about Lewis is during World War II, he's out at those RAF bases talking to the crew members who are just teenagers. They're not graduates of Oxford and Cambridge. He says the the real life of the mind is when you can communicate substantive ideas in accessible ways. That was my next question, Ken. You just you just read my mind because sometimes I, I think I read some of these books and I, I think... I don't know how to apply this in any kind of real conversation of any kind, because I don't know if I can communicate what I learned. But if I spend time studying God's Word, uh, I'm pretty sure I can communicate that. And that's where I seem to put most of my energy. Well, the Bible is the greatest of all the greatest books. I mean... I mean, you never read Romans and say, I got it. You know, <laughs> I don't so need true. that anymore. Or, you know, yeah, ben, uh, done that. I covered that. Yeah. No, the, it's a living word, and it's oh, it's challenging you as a young man, as middle-aged, as old man, whatever true. circumstance. And and I, I think that in, in many ways, uh, we want to think about learning that way, that we can keep on growing, we can keep on learning. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um, uh, don't don't feel bad when you're reading a tough book. Yeah, name name a tough book you've read that that you say, well, this is a book I read that I thought was tough. 
Well, I've read a good number of them. Probably the one that is, to me, one of the biggest challenges is reading Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. He has Summa Theologica, or Summa Theologiae, and uh, what's hard about it is when before Thomas gives you his argument, he considers all of the possible alternatives. I mean, he's practicing the golden rule of apologetics. He he takes into account what all of these Stoics and you know various Greek uh, philosophers say. Thomas was he was heavy and he's difficult. But you know what? The time that I've wrestled with it, I've gotten so much out of it. Yeah, amen. Ken, thanks for spending the time today. The life of the mind has been a fascinating topic, and I think you covered it well. So I appreciate you, and I appreciate you coming on the show every month. Well, you know what? The hour with you just flies by. Sweet. I have so much fun. Sweet. I love that. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the night. Thank you. You bet. Ken Samples has been my guest. You can go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. Check it out at reasons.org. That's the show we have for today. I have loved being with you, and I can't wait to spend uh, more time with you tomorrow. If you listen to the podcast tonight, welcome. Nice to have you uh, listen to the podcast. You can go to myfaithradio.com. And happy anniversary to Faith Radio. 73 years ago today we went on the air. It's a thrill to be sitting in this chair, being part of this amazing ministry. Thank you for making it possible. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.